morticians? Are they really twisted people with morbid fascinations of death who fantasize about handling the deceased? I'm Anthony Padilla, and I'm gonna find out the truth from morticians themselves. Hello, Victor. Well, hello. Beyonce Virgo. Hi. Hi. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla because sometimes existing is exhausting. You are a mortician. I am. What does that entail? The preparation and preservation of um, the deceased's body. <laughs> Hard stop. The end. The end. That's what it is. I like to think it's not my defining characteristic. Right, right. Um, you're, not, you're not Victor the Mortician? I mean, probably to a good chunk of the internet I oh. am. But in real life, uh, it, it is what I do to make a living. Yeah. Um, and a mortician is a really beautiful job. Why is it beautiful? It's kind of two jobs in one in a lot of ways. You have you have the uh, body preparation aspect that everybody yeah. gets all hyped about on the web. But then you also have the kind of uh, counseling the family event planning, empathetic part that's also very cool too. So what is it that, that sparks your curiosity? Really just like uh, trauma. Emotional or blunt force trauma? Blunt force trauma. Literally. Yeah, like I, I was really curious about like how decedents would look after maybe a bad car accident or a motorcycle accident and what went into preparing them so that their family can see them for one last time. And that was really mm. what got me into it. I mean, like you could have just done a Google search, but you decided I need to see it. That wasn't that enough. That wasn't <laughs> really? enough. When people find out that you're a mortician, they ask a lot of questions. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, the first question that I absolutely hate is like, well, do they stand up? <laughs> they think that you're Frankenstein. I think so. I've never in all of my years seen even a dead person move. What do people think that you're doing in there? I think it's Hollywood though. I think Hollywood really mm. plays a big part in what people think preparation of the dead is like. I don't know. So you're saying TV is rotting our brains. Mm -hmm. Do you not have any fun at work? Um, you try to make the best of it, but sometimes the things you see are kind of heavy. It does hit you hard. It is emotional. You're not entirely emotionally detached. I'm not. But you do have to be desensitized to a certain extent mm. to make it through. Do you consciously choose like, okay, turn off the emotion, I'm gonna do my work? Sometimes, it mm. depends. Children, absolutely. Babies, oh, absolutely. God, I'm I like, think of that. yeah, okay, it's sad. You gotta, we gotta get through this though. Mm -hmm. And I get through but sometimes it is a little, some days are heavier than others. How disfigured could someone be where you would allow or, or be okay with the family mm. seeing? Is there is there a cutoff? Like where is that cutoff of like, I, I know I can repair it. Okay, I don't know. Um, Cause everything is different, right? Yeah. Like if you have someone who's died in a fire, oh, there's yeah. not really a whole lot you can do. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's like really hard. I had a car accident some years ago where uh, a gentleman was split from at the top of his nose all the way to the back of his head. Oh my God. Um, and then was autopsied after that. So that means they've taken off the skull cap, they've opened everything up. And that was really, you know, you would look at that and you'd say, this is not, like, you you want to throw in the towel, right? You want to say like, close casket, that just sounds easier for me. But then you realize like, but the family could be better served. So then you spend three hours with a tiny needle. And what I ended up using was, um, uh, nylon uh, dental floss. Okay. And I made like 300 stitches between here and there, tiny little sutures. And then once I had it closed off and they were embalmed, then I like covered over it with mortuary wax and kind of stippled and painted. So then 
by the time of the funeral, they could not tell where it was. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't tell where the skin was split. And I, I think that is, that's kind of a mercy to the parents a little bit, right? Yeah. Because then like, they don't have to think about the head being split from here to there. They just have to know, oh, it looked really, really bad at the crash site, but when I saw him, it was fine. So what does an average day look like for you? I get in, um, I check in people that have came in, come in overnight. And people that are alive? People that are deceased. Oh. I guess I do have to make that distinction because <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, people, I check in people. Well, also sometimes people, when, when, when the person's dead, they start referring to them as a body or something like that. It's like, I always wonder, where's the distinction? Some people are like, oh, person, person, body, person, but they're still a person. I, you know what? I think people on the outside do that mm. because when I'm at work, I'm like, uh, we got to get my lady, my lady, this lady, mm. my guy, or Miss So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. I try to maintain that level of humility, right. even if they are deceased. They still have an identity that isn't Absolutely. just as an object. Absolutely. Because is it better to get to it right away? Practically, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so when someone dies, you're dealing with all sorts of conditions, right? Mm. Uh, the minute someone dies, their body starts breaking down. So the first step is generally just doing intake. So just looking over the person, making sure you acknowledge any issues they might Are have. Are you like taking notes? Yeah, sure, yeah. I, I have an embalming report where I'll take notes. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for things like lacerations or bed sores or you know bruising, other things that might look unseemly when you're preparing a body. I'm looking for facial hair. Say if grandpa always wore his face clean shaven, if he's coming in with a whole bunch of stubble, People need to know that so that we can let them know, hey, they've got stubble. Do you want them, do you want us to remove it by the time oh, it's time for the funeral? Is that because after death, the hair will continue to grow? No, it actually doesn't. Well, I don't know why. Why, why is that? I've heard that. I've I don't heard... know why people say that. Yeah. So basically what happens is I guess it can give the illusion that the hair is still growing because the skin kind of like. Oh. Yeah, from, mm. but it absolutely does not grow. You need blood flow for your hair to grow. Mm. So, and you don't have that when you're deceased. So I just let them know if like they faced a lot of trauma, we're not, probably not gonna be able to have them looking like how you remember them looking, but mm. you know, this is what, this is what's here. And then you're going to do what's called set the features. Mm. So you will close the eyes, you will get the mouth closed. Um, achieving a natural look with the mouth is really tough. Like, what happens to the face? The, what, how does it want to Well, sit? the first thing is it's going to relax. Mm. And then you're going to see that it kind of falls into like whatever its normal resting pattern is. Oh. So, so I, I've, I, I've really found that people who smile a lot in life, when you go to manipulate their mouth, like will naturally have something of a smile or a smirk. Wow. Whereas people who frown, like get this weird frown and like you can't, you can't fight it. I don't know what oh. it is. There's what's called a needle injector, which is a piston, and it shoots a metal brad into the, the upper maxillary bones and the lower mandible. And then you shut the mouth and you twist those wires. And they, it holds it. And it'll hold them closed, yeah. Mm. Um, then the other way is you can do it with, with suture, with, with thread and a needle. Then you can go through the frenulum, so like under your lip, like mm -hmm. this down here. Yeah. Then you go up through the septum. Oh. In the nose, under, like inside, oh. and then you tie a bow. That's um, so not that, a present I want to open. That yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but you get a septum piercing out of the deal. Oh, cool. So, yeah. so I can finally live my edgy lifestyle yeah. that I've always wanted. Yeah, I mean, I could give you one after the show if you want. Okay, you're pretty good at yeah. it. So you, yeah. <laughs> you got some some tool. You got, got some, some items. Some items here. <laughs> okay. I got 
I got some eye caps. So these are like, okay, so these are contact lenses. Kinda, you're not gonna be doing much seeing, mm -hmm. but if you look, you'll see like the, um, Oh shit. Yeah, you can have those too. So those are put in the eyes to make sure that the eyes don't really like come open. So it would be bad news if I put this in my eye right now. Oh, absolutely. It'll mm. like scrape up the insides of your eyelids. Those little um, spikes there yeah. are to pretty much keep the eyelid in place. So do eyes naturally want to open up when you're deceased? Depends on how you die. I wouldn't say they would naturally want to open, but sometimes they do. What does embalming fluid do? I think a lot of people get the impression that embalming fluid is this thing that's supposed to make a body last forever. Embalming fluid temporarily. Temporarily. temporarily not permanent? Not permanently slows down the decomposition process of the mm. human body. But really the, the reason why we have embalming is like really a, it's a public health issue. If I were to leave a body alone in an unair conditioned room for several days in a casket with no preparation and no like cooling like i could end up with a great big bloated belly and green spots one of the things that funeral directors really worry about is called tissue gas it's this uh, agent that builds up in a body clostridium perfringens and it builds up and it makes the skin start to swell and it feels like rice krispies and it, like crackles underneath oh but the problem is it spreads and it smells so bad. So like we want to avoid those kind of things. So that's yeah. why like I'll get up at 3 a.m. and prepare a body because then I don't have to worry about, oh, when we have the funeral in five days, I don't have to worry about, are they going to explode in the casket? Like I, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so there's four different types of embalming, arterial mm -hmm. embalming, and that's when you raise an artery and you're pushing the uh, fluid through the arteries that way. As you're pushing fluid in, blood is coming out of the vein. Oh. So you're not, I know people think like, oh, you've got to turn the body upside down and like. Yeah, you don't put them on a meat hook upside no, down and let the blood drain? No, I don't do drain. any of that. No, mm. we don't like gravity drain or anything like mm. that. Back in the day, they used to have like a tilting table to like. Oh, yeah. that's what those things are. N no more of that. No more. Now you figured out, oh, you just push it in, it'll squirt out right next to it. Pretty much. Once we realize that we've gotten like good distribution, um, I will cavity embalm. Cavity embalming is when you take a really long pointed instrument and it's hooked up to um, suction mm. and you make an incision in the belly and you suck out what's in their belly and you oh, pretty like, much like, like undigested food? Undigested food, blood, fluid that may have built up. These days, uh, I think they have like a machine for it, but the one I have is pretty old fashioned. So mm. you have to hold it up while you're oh. to drain the um, fluid mm -hmm. into the body and that's cavity embalming. After that, I like to oh. put a diaper on people just because um, yeah. that butt juice is oh. something else. Yeah. I didn't even think about the butt juice. They've got butt juice. Even after you screw in the thing, sometimes, there's butt juice comes out? Sometimes butt juice leaks. That's true. I, didn't, I have not thought about how my uh, conscious awareness of my body is keeping my butt juice in right Exactly, now. right? Yeah. It's just a conscious, like a continuous conscious effort to keep yeah. your butt juice in. That's how I sum up my life. Okay. I, I feel you, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I will then move on to makeup. Mm, and so, are you doing all the makeup yourself? Sometimes I, I need a little bit of help uh, when there's a lot of trauma mm. involved. It's uh, like the opposite of SFX makeup. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. You're trying to cover all of that stuff. Is it the same as any other kind of makeup? Like you just go to Sephora and... <sighs> so you can. In my experience, I don't because when you are dead, obviously there's no warmth in the skin and makeup for living people 
acts on the warmth in your skin. So sometimes you'll get like a really blotchy finish um, if you're using some more than others, but um, I just like to use mortuary makeup. I noticed that younger people are a tad bit easier to work with um, because their skin, it holds up a lot better than a really old, like an older person. Because when you're younger, you've got, I guess, more elasticity mm. to your skin and that's a little bit easier to work with. But I would always rather work on an older, way older yeah. person than someone. I know. Yeah, as you were saying young. that, I was like, yeah, it might be easier to do the makeup, but is it? It's more difficult emotionally. Right. The first time I embalmed was mm. someone who was closer to my age and seemed like they would be, you know, a friend. And uh, that really kind of hurt because I felt like, man, you know, that could have been me. That could have been my friends. And even though it wasn't, it still made me feel like, whew, you know, shit happens. And sometimes you are caught in the middle of that shit. And that really hit me because I'm like, yo, I need to start living like, mm. like I'm gonna die. The embalming is there to you know, protect the public, preserve the body until the funeral. Um, and then two, because it is a preservative, it will kind of firm up the body a little bit as well. Mm. But so when I get someone's mouth properly set, yeah. it'll hold it there. It'll mm. keep in that shape. So then I can say, yes, I've done this right at three in the morning. Yeah. But at five days, grandma's also going to look really nice. When her family comes, they can see grandma in a, in a comfortable setting for them. And they can have kind of this last experience with grandma. Mm -hmm. And I can be in the background not having to worry about the practical matters of, you know, goodness is, you know, grandma going to fall apart before mm -hmm. we get to the cemetery. That's so yeah. odd that you're you're bringing all this up and specifically saying grandma because I my grandma just passed uh, about a month ago really and it, I went to my first open casket funeral. Give me the rest of the day. How did it go? So, well, first there was the viewing the day before. Yep. Uh, and then the next day, um, you know, and luckily all the emotions came out then. Yeah, and, and then, there's some truth in that. It's good to have some time to just let it out. It's odd because that first day especially that first moment, but that first day, it feels like you are grieving the person. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, after almost processing it in the night, yeah. it feels like it is uh, a representation of that person. It feels like a memory. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I had a priest one time tell me it this way. He said, the night before a funeral is for looking backwards, mm. but the day of the funeral is for looking forwards. Mm. Um, and, and whether or not that's in a religious setting, I think it's utterly true. You have this time of reflection and remembering and mourning the loss of someone you love. Mm -hmm. But then there does come a time where you look forward to, okay, now what is the rest of my life going to look like without this person? I feel like having this conversation would have been completely different if I had never seen someone that had been embalmed and sure. I, didn't even, I didn't even think about the process and you're mm -hmm. sitting here breaking down yeah. the process that actually went into preserving my grandmother yes. now the memory sure. the last memory that i have of her right is it better that she was there looking peaceful looking like grandma with her own clothes on mm -hmm. or i hear a lot of people like oh what a waste you know why do that it's like it provides you time to plan it provides you time to get to wherever the funeral is um but then probably the most important benefit of just giving family time to be with someone who looks like themselves rather than 
someone who is wasted by disease or actively decaying. Like we don't, we, you know, I don't like that. I don't want that for my, for the families I serve. Mm -hmm. My, my great hope is that at some point, you know, if we've been ignoring death for a generation and sanitizing death for a generation, people will eventually realize like, hmm, this didn't work well. Let's try to do this better. And I'm not saying like everybody has to have like a Catholic funeral mass. Like that's mm. what I'm going to have. But what I really want to do is hopefully get people thinking about death, but also just thinking about like remembrance, about ceremony of some kind, about inconvenience. Like all these things are built into are built into death and grieving and just being okay with that. Grieving is something that I think most people want to avoid because that's it's, really it's a lot. It's hard. Right? But once you <laughs> grieve, you've grieved. That's right. And you can move on. Yeah. You can continue. You don't have that part of your brain that's constantly like, uh-uh, no, 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 don't look at that. I don't think about that. Absolutely. We don't we don't go there. It's a hard, it's a hard, hard thing. <laughs> it's just hard, and that's okay. And I think some people would assume that because you're a mortician, because you handle death nearly every single day, mm -hmm. that you would be able to say, death is just a thing that happens and that's okay and I have no emotion attached to it. Yeah. People think that you have emotion attached to death because you aren't familiar with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People think that morticians maybe are detached. And I would counter that the ones that are actually detached from the emotional side mm -hmm. of it are not good at their job. You have to be connected to humanity in order to serve humanity. Like the majority of my time spent with any given death call, right? Mm -hmm is going to be with the family. Mm. It's going to be with the husband or the wife or the kids or the grandkids. It's going to be with the family, you know, serving them. Mm. And if you've lost your capacity to be empathetic and you've lost your um, emotions around death and you think it's, you know, just a meat sack, who cares? Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to be good at your job. It's been interesting um, having gone viral. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get a lot of... Um, Budding morticians. Uh, that's probably not something that's been said very often, but uh, <laughs> there are some who are, who who get it, right? Who get why a person does this job. Yeah. And there are some that are like, oh, I, and I don't like working with people, so I think it'd be a great job for me. No, this would be like, don't do this job if you're not good with people. <laughs> you work with people every single time that you handle. Yes, constantly, even oh, on the worst day of their life. Okay, like yeah. you have to be, good, you have to be good with people. Did you always want to become a mortician? Whew, I feel like this episode just needs a quick little intermission segment, okay? We're gonna take this time to thank PayPal Honey for sponsoring this episode. Honey, of course, is the easy way to save when you're shopping on your iPhone or your computer. It's a free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and it applies the best one that it finds to your cart. So when you're at checkout, you no longer have to stare at that empty discount code box because if Honey finds a working coupon, a little Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupon. And bam, Honey supports over 30,000 stores online, ranging from tech to popular fashion brands and yes, food delivery, so no matter what, you're set. And if you're anything like me after this episode, I'm gonna sit back, relax. I'm gonna order some food with honey. And I'm gonna have a four course meal of seven different types of nachos shoveled straight into my mouth. And the best part is that Honey doesn't just work on your desktop, it also works on your iPhone. You just activate it on Safari on your phone and boom, save on the go. It's literally free and it installs in just a few seconds. So it's kind of ridiculous that you don't already have it, but no judgment. If you wanna do yourself a solid and also support this series, get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Padilla. Again, it's free and if you go to joinhoney.com slash Padilla, you'll be directly supporting this series. And also I can't go without thanking BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Therapy has been really beneficial in reframing my view of the world and of myself by allowing me to feel empathy for my younger self and therefore understand who I am today 
better, but therapy can be customized to whatever is right for you. It can be useful in helping with things like feelings of depression, anxiety, stress, insecurity, or whatever else you might need. BetterHelp screens all their therapists to ensure that they have experience and that they're certified and licensed and provides customized therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone or speak over the phone if that's not something that you're comfortable with. And I feel like the most difficult part about getting into therapy is finding a therapist that you actually connect with, which is why BetterHelp offers a more affordable alternative to in-person therapy where you can start communicating with your therapist in less than 48 hours. And those are just some of the reasons it's so cool that BetterHelp is sponsoring this episode. And they're giving I Spent Today with viewers and listeners of the completely uncensored podcast version of the show 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Padilla. That's betterhelp.com slash Padilla. Now, back to the world of morticians. Did you always want to become a mortician? Did you always want to handle death? Yes. Always? Always. Like, it's one of those things, like, I don't even have, like, some story about how, like, I realized that this is what I wanted to do. I just literally knew. You were born, you're like, ah, oh, but death. Yeah, exactly. That was me. I grew up in church. Yeah. And I grew up going to funerals like there were a lot of older folks in yeah, the church yeah and like it seemed like i was always going with my grandma to a funeral and i always wondered like what goes into this and then again like with uh dr g i used to watch the show uh -huh. and that's kind of what got me into kind of i guess my curiosity about um the different traumas and how um trauma can affect how someone looks. It was my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, I started working at a funeral home. As a kid, I always wanted to be a priest. That's what I always wanted really? to be. Really? That yeah. was your goal? That's what was always on my mind as a kid. I guess priests are related to death kind in of, some way, right? Kind of. Oh, abso absolutely. Like, priests yeah. are, they're all about death in yeah. some ways. And then once I realized, like, that's not, that's not my path. That's not what I'm supposed to do. It was like, now what? My godfather sent me a book by uh, the poet and undertaker Thomas Lynch. And I realized like this, to me, at least the way I envision it, could be that middle ground. Like I can be of service. I can have this kind of semi-religious existence, right? Mm. Like I I'm involved in kind of the, the uh, metaphysical, the mm. supernatural in some ways. Mm. So then I went to my local funeral home and they're like, yeah, you can just, sure, like we'll hire you to, you know, whatever, just like dust caskets and vacuum floors. You just wanted to be there? Just be there. Um, uh -huh. And that's the advice I would give to any aspiring mortician is like, go get a job in a funeral home right now. Like before you go to school, before you do anything, stop what you're doing, go get a job at a funeral home. Uh, because you'll learn really quick if it's for you or if it's not. My fourth day there, my boss called me into his office and he's like, Victor, we've had a death. I was like, okay. And he's like, and you are going to go into the prep room and you're going to watch an embalming, which I don't think is strictly legal, by the way, but... <laughs> yeah, like no license, nothing? Yeah, yeah. But I, I went back there and I was 18 at the time. Yeah. And it was an 18-year-old girl who died in a car crash. And she'd been autopsied. Okay, um, so that means that her chest cavity was cut open, all her organs were removed and were separated in a bag. So I, you know, walk in and just this beautiful girl on the table. I mean, beautiful. And um, like, I still remember exactly what she looked like. I don't know, I don't know what her name was. But so I walked in and the embalmer kind of got started and they cut open the sutures that are holding everything together, you know? 
opens up the cavity, pulls out all the viscera, all the guts, right? They're in a big bag. And I remember that her breast like flopped down as her chest was opened. And I remember that very distinctly. And um, I, I like ended up taking a chair and I just sat there and just kind of like zoned out. Um, because it is like, it is disturbing and it's hard to just get that like punch in the face uh, with mortality, like, like really early on. And then I made it through that day and then the next day there was another death and it was an infant. So then I went and watched an infant get prepared. Um, and honestly, like after, after that and whatever, you know, whatever mess that made of my subconscious. <laughs> yeah. um, after that though, everything was kind of like, kind of smooth sailings. I, like if I can get through that, I can get through anything. And I, and like, I have seen some disturbing things in my career and they're not going to be the last. Like I'm going to continue to see these, you know, not just gruesome things, but just like ugly, ugly humanity and evil human actions. Like I'm going to see these things and I'm going to see things that are like heartbreakingly sad. And yet I'm going to have to either like power through these gruesome things or I'm going to have to like be strong for a family that's experiencing these evils, these ugly things in the world. So I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. That, that, that was my kind of opening experience. I don't think I would, maybe I would wish it on other morticians, like aspiring morticians in some ways because it really is formative. It's like throwing you into the pool to learn how to swim. Yeah, absolutely, yes. My dad did that to me, it was a little traumatizing, but I learned. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and so it is, yeah, it is a little terrifying and scary, but I think um, it's served me well. So is there a schooling process to learn everything that you know? Definitely. So you've got mortuary school, you've got technical colleges that have like um, mortuary programs. Yeah. Me personally, I say go to a specialized mortuary school if you know that's what you want to do. You get more hands-on clinical experience. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like when you're in a technical college um, or like a college that offers other things outside of funeral services, you might lack on your clinical experience. I don't know how many right. bodies you'll be able to embalm right. and learn on. Because you want hands-on experience. Exactly. You can't just receive the knowledge and assume that you know how to go in there and handle a deceased exactly. body. Exactly. So has being exposed to so much death made you more scared? Absolutely. But then again, you know, you I met you today and you had the biggest smile on your face. Like you were living life. Of course. So you still find ways to enjoy life. It's not like you're scared of everything. Oh no, I'm not scared of everything because I'm gonna live, honey. If I'm gonna do one thing, uh, I'm gonna live, okay? Uh, but I just am I scared while doing it? Yeah. Like am I thinking about other things while living? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if it's your time, it's your time, so. True. So. Yeah, all right. So how, how do you feel about death and, <laughs> and, and everything that we've spoken about? Like, I, I, I wanna uh, know what you think. I feel like I kind of desensitized myself throughout the conversation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a lot, even though I know these are heavy, heavy things. And as I'm making jokes, I'm thinking about how I'm joking about things that you have images of. Yeah. I just have generalized concepts of, but right. you have the actual images. Yeah. And when you're describing the way that a body decomposes in a hot tub for three days, I'm imagining like chicken breast being dropped into a boiling bucket of water while you are seeing a real human. And again, you're not calling them bodies. Yeah. You humanize them. Yeah. I can only imagine how much emotional weight that all holds, even if it is your job. There's still emotion attached to it. You can't escape 
the emotion attached to knowing that someone who lived a life that they didn't, you know, they didn't get to live the fullest life that they could have and their family is grieving them. You can't completely emotionally detach yourself from that. Absolutely. And if you think that you are, you might be suppressing it. And what are you doing to suppress? Because there's no way that you can see all the things that you see and- That you've seen. That I've seen. <laughs> and yeah. then just like completely like, oh, whatever, out of sight, out of mind, you know? There's, there's something there, even if you're not thinking you're holding on to it, subconsciously sometimes you are. Yeah, I, I will say that when I have thought of morticians leading up to this point, even in planning this yeah. interview, I thought about the process, I thought about you as someone that handles a dead body and knows the ins and outs, no pun intended, of all the different ways. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Ways to handle the dead and make them look alive again. And sure. that's really where it ended. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about the impact that you make, the the, the ability that you give families sure. to to now grieve in a comfortable setting with a recognizable form. Yes, that absolutely. They, they, they yes. then get to move on from. Seeing my first open casket recently, I'm able to imagine the work that went into mm -hmm. making my grandmother look so much like her. Yeah. And now I have a very different connection with that. And if I didn't see that, I think that I would have a very different connection with yeah. speaking to you right now. Yeah, you would, you would probably think, you know, funeral directors get painted as like these circling vultures that are only concerned about selling you a casket, yeah. making money. Yeah. Um, and I think if a person realized like how much time goes into my job, like how many hours in the middle of the night I spend away from my family, how many holidays I miss, right? All these things, like if, if someone realized that, which I think many people in my, you know, locality do. Yeah. If they, you know, if they realize that, they understand like I'm not in it for the money, right? Like I've had I've had a number of job offers offering me literally twice what I make now mm. to go work for, you know, some funeral mega corporation where mm. I meet with families all day and that's what I do. Or I meet with families and I make sure we like make our bottom line and I upsell caskets and I get uh, <laughs> you know, commissions off of sales, like gross things like that. Yeah. And I'm just not interested in that. That's not why I'm here, right? I'm, I'm here primarily to serve. And if I can you know, feed my wife and kids, that's really, really good. So it goes flat over the eyeball, mm -hmm. and then the eyelid can't go anywhere because these things are getting of stabbed. Those. Right, yeah. pretty much. Okay, okay, this is actually horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> this you know, is nightmare fuel. The things we do to make bodies look good. Right, I mean, I'm just imagining what happens if you put this into uh, an alive person's eyes oh. when they're not aware of what you're doing. <laughs> you're not gonna be able to open your eyes. You're not, and it's because it's gonna get caught on there, and yeah. Oh my God, new, new, Fear, new worst fear unlocked. Unlocked. How do you think I feel? 